You're listening to From the Field, a podcast helping ministry leaders think differently, thrive personally, and lead thoughtfully. Welcome to From the Field. My name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the founder of Telio, a care and formation ministry for pastors. My name is Tyler Dravitz. I'm the executive pastor of Ridgeline Church and also the, what else am I? Wow. You're the founder of MyXP. Yeah, I was thinking what about do you guys too many do? things. I like hearing what you do now week to week. Uh, <laughs> as I like ad lib every <laughs> yeah. time. Yep. So I'm the founder of MyXP uh, ministry. What do you guys do at MyXP? A ministry where we help pastors solve problems by providing remote executive pastor support to churches around the country. Nailed it that time. What, what? We, uh... We got a we got a real thing going this week. We have a special guest, mm-hmm. handsome Zach Sakura. He's oh, back man. in the saddle. Handsome, I'm, here. <laughs> I'm willing. Here. I'm willing to support the handsome. Yeah, all right, that's good. I just I just full disclosure uh, for those that don't know, I put a survey up on Instagram last time we had you on, mm-hmm. asking is is Zach like objectively handsome? Yes or no? And it was, uh, it would have been 100% yeses, except for one person said no. Do you know who the one person was? I do. You want to know why? Because he texted me and, <laughs> and confessed that it was himself. It was Tyler. It was Tyler. Yeah, yeah it was. I didn't realize that it like... Didn't say your name. Percentage. Oh, well, how did you think surveys work? Well, no, I mean, I forgot that once you click on it, you can see what the percentage was. I oh, thought yeah. it was just for the like surveyor. I, you don't always get but to when know I saw the that you had done that, my hope was that Zach would see it and it would be really stuck in his head. And he's like, Who is this freaking one person? I immediately confessed. I was really up in my head about it. I thought it was like is friendship there... ending. Is there something about my appearance that you find abhorrent or what? No, no. not at all. Not a okay. single thing. You, right. could, you have a, like that one lazy eye from when you got hit in the face with a crab apple. Oh, yeah. It's the right eye. It droops. But the Drew Carey glasses make it less noticeable. Yeah. Didn't I wear my clear glasses last time? I think you did. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. You don't remember that? Yeah. Mm-mm. I remember everything he was wearing. Mm. <laughs> 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 All right, so you, you've uh, been listening along. We're doing a series uh, talking about some of the things that we're trying to be real intentional about investing in by way of uh, fostering health at Ridgeline. And that's the thing that that's how we measure success. Like we're not after big explosive growth. We just want to have a healthy church uh, where God does what he wants to do. And so we've talked about a few of those, mm-hmm. but we thought it'd be great to have you on because we want to talk about emotional and mental health, specifically cultivating a culture uh, where emotional health is always growing. And so we're going to get to that in just a few seconds, but we're going to invite you into our question of the day. So I want to know about this while, while we're on the topic of emotional mm-hmm. health, I want to know what movie has made you cry the most. Mm. Zach, have you, you've cried during a movie, right? Mm. Me? Yeah. Oh, I cry almost every movie. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. What do you think? I'm a crier. What, what movie? I'll, I'll tell you right. And mine, mine was, uh, <laughs> mine was, uh, the Lindsay Lohan parent trap. I knew it. <laughs> But I knew there it. was more. It's not just like it's a whole thing. Like that. That I was going through kind of an emotional breakdown at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's I, definitely I remember that. And I will say, I, I cry every time I watch The Greatest Showman. Every time. Oh, and dude, the you first just time took it away from me. Really? Yes. Oh, that's, I'm sorry. I love that movie, and it's so inspirational. It and, is. Well, well. To confess, like I love musicals Uh and especially when I see them in person it moves me so much that there's all of these people on stage doing something together yeah and it's so emotional but yeah the greatest showman I cry every time we first watched that when we just moved here to Salt Lake City and Tammy had made pizza and I'm like really into to Tam's pizza my pizza sat cold while I cried watching the greatest showman wow it was good yeah so I'm Lindsay Lohan, uh-huh. just everything she does, and we share The Greatest Showman, me and Zach. What, yeah. what movie has made you cry the most? I actually don't know the answer to this for you. I'm not sure that I do either. I mean, Beaches? No. 
See, that's an inside joke, Zach, that uh, people don't understand. What, your love uh, affair with Bette Midler? Now I, everyone understands. I think she is a good good actress and a great singer. I can't stand Snappy her. Snappy dresser. No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I mean, I... Uh, <laughs> this is so terrible, but the one that keeps coming to mind yeah. that I want to think of a cooler one, yeah. The Notebook. Oh, I feel like that's respectable. Oh. I said a children's movie with Lindsay Lohan playing twins. Yeah. 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 It's, anyway. I've refused to watch that movie just because I know it's going to The Notebook? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like we... Really we lost. should get together and watch that sometime. We should. The next Which time one? we're together, that's All what we'll three do. Of those? We'll watch yeah. The Notebook. Yeah. No, just The Notebook. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. I like it. And every other Nicholas Sparks movie. Yep. <laughs> All right. So clearly we need to talk about emotional health. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought, Zach, a good place for us to start would be to just think about it. I know that this isn't like a major area of research or study for you, but you are a Christian, mm-hmm. you're a part of a church, you've done work with a bunch of different churches on this issue in your work as a psychologist. And so I'm curious, just experientially from you, what do you think are some common deficiencies in Christian culture when it comes to emotional and mental health? And I, and I know, like, there's so much stigma around that period. I think the stigma within the church is even yeah. worse. You know, I saw... Sure. I read even another article this week that was by some pastor that was just bashing therapy and all we should need is the Bible for every single sure. thing in the world. And so mm. when you yeah. think about that, like what, what do you think are some of the most common deficiencies that you've experienced or seen? Yeah, sure. When I think when I look back on church history and by no means am I an expert in that at all, but there was a time in church history where church was a sanctuary for people with mental illness at Mm -hmm. one point in time. And somewhere along the way, you know, I think the church decided that they were not best equipped to, to, to care for, to treat people with mental illness, which I think in one part is good Mm -hmm. because pastors are definitely not equipped, equipped to treat any sort of, you know, serious mental illness. Right. right? But in, in one in the other respect, at the same time, it, it we sort of like outsource people with mental health problems to the medical and behavioral health fields. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think, um, you know, there was a lack, there's a lack of programming, there's a lack of resources for people with mental health issues within the church itself. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I think like, there's a lack of language about mental health. It's not prioritized in the church as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when that happened, mm-hmm. but that's when I feel like that, that sort of the veneer of you can't struggle and yeah. be in church sort of yeah. like took over. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I think about is how there's this sort of this mentality. Like if you're, if you are healthy spiritually if you have faith, if your relationship with God is in order, you won't Mm -hmm. feel or experience difficult emotions like anger or sadness or things like that. And you won't have depression and you won't have panic attacks and you won't have any of those things. And I was even thinking this week about Tyler, when your sister died a few years Mm -hmm. ago Mm -hmm. and a well-meaning elder at a past church, mm. I hope was, I hope it was well-meaning, mm. but just talk about the conversation he had with you. Cause I think it's a, like a, an example of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, so you, uh, when I got the phone call, you were like getting on a plane mm-hmm. to attend a funeral of someone super Somebody else, significant yeah. in your life. And so you weren't able to be there. And so I like, I was at uh, some people's house and that kind of brought it to a close. And I was like, I have to go because mm-hmm. I got the call mm-hmm. and um, uh, went back home. And I knew that if I hadn't shared that right away, uh, it was a really dysfunctional situation mm-hmm. we were in. I was afraid of getting in trouble for not being vulnerable. And so I posted it and 
Um, Which is a really amazing sign of a, an emotionally healthy church yeah, where you're yeah, afraid of sure. getting in trouble for not being vulnerable. About my sister dying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, in a timely fashion. Yeah. So it was a whole thing. But, uh, and so I, I think the well-intentioned part was that he uh, and another member of our staff came over to my house and I was sitting on my deck and not saying a lot and you know, of course, the elder began asking me a couple of questions, and I had a really hard time getting through and was pretty – so in general, uh, the people of Ridgeline have seen me get emotional during um, announcements. our announcements. Yeah. yeah. Or, about, it could or, be, you could be talking about nothing. Yeah. So in general, when it's real, can you imagine? Yeah. And also – my family, led by my mother, does the real ugly cry. Yeah. And so it wasn't pretty because, you know, my sister was dead now. We were right. told two days prior she had at least 60 days and everyone was planning another trip. And then gone. she was gone. Yeah. And so mm. there were a lot of things about it, but I was having a hard time processing through it verbally. And at one point... I got a very stern response. Now, Tyler, mm -hmm. we don't grieve as those with no hope. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I just was mortified and at that point really was just like, Hey, I, I I'm going to head inside. And I don't even think I said, but I don't remember. I don't think I said bye to that. Cause I just was like, not really looking for feedback. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like the one time in your life you shouldn't get feedback is when like someone you care about dies. Yeah, You shouldn't but, yeah. be criticized yeah. for the way that you well, grieve. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I, I certainly didn't mean to have no hope. I believe that my sister's in heaven and all of that, but I was a little bummed. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, I think it's especially timely to talk about this right now because of, as we have been in this year of COVID and lots of isolation, and now hopefully by God's grace, we're like sort of coming out of it, but I think the impact of it is not shaken by, like you can get, the vaccine and go on a vacation and the residue still remains of everything that we've been through. And I think people are struggling disproportionately, uh, or at least it has squeezed out of people what was already inside of them. Mm -hmm. But I was just yep. curious, like with people being isolated, feeling so, so socially anxious. Now we're starting to reemerge and we're seeing all that. And one thing that we're seeing a lot of that we've seen at Ridgeline and that we're seeing with every church that we have relationship with is there's this like insane amount of movement between churches. Like people are like, we've lost more people than we've ever lost before. Mm -hmm. And we are gaining more people more quickly than we ever have before. <clears throat> so it's just happening all over the place. Yeah. And so I was wondering, um, how come? Yeah. Can you solve that for us? <laughs> I mean, have any? Because I, I will say uh, I've been in ministry for a long time through my XP. Uh, this is universal, at least amongst the churches that we support. And it is as befuddling for us as it is for every, pa like, and there are people you don't expect. There are reasons that are inexplicable and sometimes just like, peace, yo, I'm out. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. and, and, and so what in the world there's, I would say like if for us, there were two waves, there was a wave, uh, late last summer, early fall. Most of that I can connect to social and political issues mm -hmm. on which those people disagreed with statements I had made. Yeah. That's, I get that. That's fine. Yeah. The most recent wave, I would say in the last three to four months to Tyler's point is connected to like nothing happened. Yeah. There's no conflict that we're aware of. There's no major. And then they're just gone. So can yeah. you explain that? <laughs> Here, here's my theory on that. So um, people come to our church with, with dysfunctional things within them. Right. Mm -hmm. And those dysfunctional personality characteristics are built in childhood within our, our family, our social mm -hmm. network. Right. And what happens then as, as we age, those dysfunctional characteristics then come out in other social avenues. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think the church, because it's community based is mm -hmm. a perfect uh, microcosm for those dysfunctional characteristics to come out. And so I think with, you know, um, uh, as you guys know, like 
you probably have so many meetings with people each week dealing with problems and, you know, uh, relational issues and that sort of thing. Like the church in general is a place where people's social and interpersonal problems come out. Mm -hmm. But then you introduce a pandemic into all of that, Mm -hmm. where people feel socially disconnected, they are socially disconnected. Um, they might be dealing with mental health issues that they've never dealt with before in their life. And then I think all of that sometimes gets displaced onto the main community that they're a part of, Mm -hmm. which is their church. And sometimes they make impulsive decisions in order to quickly deal with those issues, which might mean I need to find a different community or, Mm it's because of my pastor or mm-hmm. because they didn't feed me or I didn't feel connected or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm. You know, I've, I've had this kind of hypothesis working in regards to just that whole idea, just what you were talking about. Like, uh, I don't feel good and I'm going to do whatever it takes to feel better. And so I genuinely think this has to do with this, like, like un comparable boom in the housing market and even what we're seeing here in Utah yeah. I know it's happening across the country but even what we're seeing here in Utah one of the things is um, the reason there's such low inventory is no one's leaving Utah everyone's just switching where they live in Utah and I think that one I, I think for some uh, the pandemic has not been near as financially troubling as it has for others I think some people are really struggling but others especially depending on how you invested in the stock market I know that for a lot of people that's worked out really well for them um and so there is some amount of disposable income but i like i don't know that there's well, no anything. one's really spent any money because no one's right. done well, anything exactly for yeah like i'm a big mm-hmm. wine abber you need a budget we'll have six to seven series of episodes on that cool because it changed can, my life zach's gonna mm-hmm. co-host those with is he? You. okay yeah. cool but i mean all my all my categories are full you know, because I don't go and do any entertainment, travel, all of those kind of things are full categories because of that. But I think right. as a result, people have that. And, and I just think that it's not really rational. I don't know that people have anything wrong with their home. They just want anything to feel different, anything. You know, I have a couple of trips coming up. And the thing I keep saying to people is I'm so excited to do the thing. And I'm even more excited for anything different. Yeah. I mean, right. I'm not investing in a home for different. Well, I mean, I guess I'm looking for one. So yeah. maybe maybe you are. I've been happy renting since I was 18. Yeah. And now I want to buy a home. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> I might be a right. product of my uh, guess. But anyway, am I just insane or is there something to that? No, humans do that all the time. We look for external solutions for internal problems, mm-hmm. right? If I make a move to a new job, that's going to make me feel better to a mm-hmm. new relationship. That's going to make me feel better you know, mm-hmm. a new part of the country that's going to make me feel better. But what usually happens is there's a honeymoon period where I do feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then, you know, that fades off and, you know, the same problems are there. So it's this, I mean, it's the same reason that like we eat and drink when we are feeling some amount of discomfort <clears throat> emotionally or you had a stressful day. Yeah, and so you eat like trash and drink. <laughs> Yeah, and this a, is just a much bigger scale. Some people are making giant life decisions, but the motive is essentially the same. Absolutely, it's it's an it's an emotional pacifier, mm-hmm. so to speak. But just on a grander scale, because there is there's just more stress and anxiety and yeah. fear fueling it all. So what I'm what are your thoughts then on? I mean, across the board, people are experiencing varying degrees of everything that we're talking about stress anxiety particularly i'm hearing a lot about social anxiety that even as everyone's feeling so encouraged that they can begin to connect but then also a lot of anxiety about connecting again sure. so just like mm-hmm. when you think about it from a le- from a leadership standpoint in a in a care position for people any thoughts mm-hmm. about some best practices about just how to best care for people right now. And, and the caveat I want to throw in there is because even for me, I feel very excited to connect with people, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely an introvert and way, way, way more depleted after any interaction Mm -hmm. at all. Really. I just feel like, (sighs) I need a break. Help me deal with Tyler. That that's that's, that's what I heard his question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, 
So let me let me speak to the social anxiety piece uh-huh. first, okay? Because I'm seeing this even from a in a in a clinical sense. Mm-hmm. The the way that we treat anxiety, the the empirically supported way that we treat anxiety, which basically means like the scientific and studied way that we treat anxiety, um, not through essential oils. Oh yeah, uh, not it, a bunch yeah. of voodoo and snake oil. <laughs> Oh, you mean what works? That's yeah. what I understand yeah. what you're saying. Go ahead. What works um, is called some is something called exposure therapy. Mm-hmm. And basically what that means is we help people gradually and systematically face what they're fearful of. Mm-hmm. Because the more that you avoid what you're anxious about, mm-hmm. the more that fear builds and builds and builds because you have some sort of dysfunctional belief about what you're fearful of, mm-hmm. whatever that might be. So for instance, say I'm, I'm afraid to fly on an airplane because I think they crash all the time or, you know, turbulence will, will, will crack the plane in half. Like if I don't ever get on a plane eventually and mm-hmm. take off and land, I will never dispute those dysfunctional beliefs in my head. So we mm-hmm. have to face what we're fearful of uh, eventually and do that in a gradual and systematic way. Unfortunately, the pandemic has been horrible for people with social anxiety because we're encouraged to yeah. socially distance. We're encouraged to, uh, it, we're mandated to yeah. stay at home at some points, right? Mm-hmm. And so people with social anxiety, um, have not been exposed to those situations in a really long time. Right. So going from, I've only been in my house for a year to Mm -hmm. I'm going back to a church event where there's a hundred people or 50 people or whatever it is, um, is, is probably going to be completely overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I think one is, is making people feel comfortable that doing it slowly is okay. okay. And and just recognizing that, you know, it's going to be a process. It's a process for everybody to integrate back in. Mm. Mm, That's good. So I've got a question then that I, I think pastorally, I'm probably not alone in. I think a lot of pastors are probably feeling this. And so I'll just open, open it up for myself and ask you to be my therapist for a moment. One, I've one, been one for years for 15 years. True. So. <laughs> I owe you a lot. Um, so when these, when we have people who like, again, there's been, there's been these two situations. One, if someone leaves because I said something about black lives matter that they don't agree with, or I said something mm-hmm. that they view as a political social issue that, that they don't agree with. And they leave as a result of that. I may not agree that these are issues that anyone should leave over, but I at least understand the reason behind it. Some of these other ones have just been these, like, just people have just left and nothing's wrong. They just left. For me, that has felt very devaluing to Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. I do. And because some of these people, just I personally have worked hard to provide faithful care as a pastor through this pandemic. And then Mm -hmm. the first sign of like light at the end of the tunnel, they're like, thanks, we're out. Yeah. And it, and it has left me at times full disclosure going, what is the point of this? Truthfully, like I've really wrestled with what is the point of this? Like why, why invest in anyone? Why, especially like, I think I'm at a point in life where I care more for the people that I pastor than I ever Mm. have before. (laughs) And they're leaving more than ever. And that's, it's emotionally, it's hard to not, I understand it's not personal cognitively, but it's really hard. So Mm. how should I think about that? How should other leaders that are feeling something similar to that, how should we think about that? Well, I, I have a question for you before I answer that in full, like, yes, you're handsome. I already said this (laughs) (laughs) is, are you ever able to sit with that person and express that emotion that you feel? No. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like, well, what have I ever been able to, I've probably had opportunity. Honestly, my bent has been, and this is where I'm a hundred percent open for, like counsel and correction here, my bent has been toward sort of this like 
um, I, I've expressed, I'm very bummed, sad to see you go. Um, and I pray you find what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. The subtext right. of that is, I don't think that you will, because I, <laughs> I don't think that you know what you're looking for. I don't think mm-hmm. that this is a real right. rational decision. But I, what I have not had an opportunity, or taken an opportunity to do, I will say, is from a more vulnerable standpoint, say, hey, this is this feels devaluing to me, and it's hurtful to me. And I, I want to piggyback on that and just say that part of the reason for that is that I don't, <laughs> I don't find a ton of value in trying to have much of a real intelligible conversation about the way anyone feels about anything right now. Cause it just doesn't seem to go well. And so it like in, in pushing into like, why are you making this choice? It's sort of like, you know, uh, caging, uh, you know, a wild animal into a corner and they're going to just lash at, you know, and then say things that you know aren't accurate, you know, and, and so I think in some ways, at least for me, I won't speak for you, Ryan, but for me, it's a little bit of self-protection and that, like, I don't sure. need that. I don't need, I don't need those data points that I know are inaccurate, but right now I'm struggling to be able to, like, speak to myself, preach to myself that like, Hey, that's, that's not really about me. It's more about them. Like, because again, as we, we talked about the last time you were on, like, we're all going through this, not just you. So it's different if it, you know, when that elder made those like thoughtless comments to me, I didn't, but if I would have lashed out, there's some part of you that has to chalk it up to, well, you just went through this. Well, we're all just went through this or are still going through it. And so it does feel really complicated to figure out what is the what's the point in that because the draw that that conversation is going to take currently I don't have one example of it adding value right that's it, it it it's a really tough situation and I think you you really have to look at the relationship with the person uh, and decide whether you want to invest that energy like you're talking about, Tyler, mm-hmm. because whether whether we like it or not, like being a pastor is, I mean, you're connecting with people constantly. Mm-hmm. You, you have to be emotionally connected to your people. Sure. And there are, there are times when I think it's really valuable to express that vulnerability in a relationship with a person who is leaving and to process that. But you're also right at the same time, you have to protect yourself. You can't have that conversation with every person who leaves your church because mm-hmm. that's just going to be exhausting. Yeah. But I do think there is value in being able to express that vulnerability, hmm. maybe with people who, you know, the, that relationship is you have a closer relationship with, or, you know, they were super involved or, or whatever that might be, because you guys, like everybody else have insecurities that you're walking around with Mm -hmm. that you also place onto people (laughs) that you also place onto people. Mm -hmm. We all do it. Yeah. And then sometimes when we don't get resolution to things, we like to fill in the blanks ourselves Mm -hmm. and we create these narratives that can be, can be pretty self-destructive, mm-hmm. right? And a, an honest and vulnerable conversation sometimes can can alleviate that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm starting to wonder if in, in not, again, I think if I were going to, I would want to do it in a very emotionally de-escalated fashion mm-hmm. that is not, I think, first of all, at least for me, um, my knee-jerk reaction is usually one of anger or frustration, but really in my life, nine times out of 10, that's a mask for hurt. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure. hurt and like literally like I'm five years old, you hurt my feelings kind of hurt. And so right. <clears throat> what I'm starting to wonder in is again, with some of these relationships that have been a bit more intimate, like you're describing in withholding that, regardless of whether or not it changes the outcome, because ultimately it's not even really, I'm not trying to change the outcome, but I'm wondering if it like whole, that hurt is held in my soul. If I don't say, Hey, understand that you guys are moving on. And, um, and I want you to know, I'm sad that you're leaving and it, it hurts me because we have tried, I have tried to take care of you. And it seems like you're just very flippantly leaving that. And I'm not mad. I am hurt. And, and I, you know, I wonder if hmm. I need like the soul flushing of that. 
Does that yeah, make sense? Absolutely. Because it might cause more withdrawal to hold it. Yeah. Than I it just does that's to actually invest in the conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. When imagine if you do that mm-hmm. for every person, mm-hmm. that that emotional tension, mm-hmm. that emotional residue just builds up mm-hmm. over time. Oh, I'm there. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> right. And it, it it it's interesting like it's almost through ministry and 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 you know being a pastor and having people leave you almost it sounds like you guys at times almost maybe build up like a um a script for mm-hmm. what you say when people mm-hmm. leave your church yeah which i think at times can be helpful but like you're not addressing the emotional component of that yeah. that can mm-hmm. be so so damaging, you know? Yeah. And I, I did, I talked with my therapist about it a couple weeks ago. And, uh, for me, I am seeing more and more, like you talked about how we walk around with our own insecurities and our personalities were formed in childhood and through family of origin and attachment and caregivers and all of that. And for me, I, I am learning more and more that I think one reason I have been reluctant to allow myself to be, to feel the hurt of people leaving is like as someone who had a biological dad who left and, um, did not have great attachment in child. Like, I just feel like every time someone leaves, it's like, I'm just being left again. Right. And that is, and so I have to keep that in check because, you know, it's not, these aren't my dads leaving over and over and over again, Right. but right. it does, it does trigger that. And that's been an important thing for me to, to recognize. And I do think I need to be discerning, but when appropriate, find, um, a, an, a, yeah, an appropriate Avenue, like we're talking about to be able to express this. Right. And I think that segues into another point where like pastors and leaders in the church just need to be very aware of their own insecurities, like you're talking about mm-hmm. right there, right? Because what what we tend to do as humans is then we just repeat that trauma. We mm-hmm. just repeat that dysfunction over and over and over again. And if you're not aware of it, it just keeps happening and happening mm-hmm. and happening. My my kryptonite is being, being a disappointment. Mm. I don't, I don't want to be a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. And so whether that's in my, you know, my, uh, relationships outside of my work or even my work with my patients, like if, uh, if, uh, uh, a therapeutic relationship goes sour or some somebody doesn't like something I say, or, you know, therapy is terminated. I have to be real aware of like, okay, like, this is, this is my insecurity of being a disappointment. Is, is that what's happening mm-hmm. here? No, mm-hmm. that's not what's happening yeah. here. You know, I want to, I want to like, I want to come back to that and ask you about how you do like any practices that you do have to, mm-hmm. to handle the, I mean, cause you even more than we do, like you sit with these people and you just like, you're getting like a full blown, just emotional dump hour after right. hour after hour, oftentimes it's of an intensity that is much higher than we experience. So I want to hear about that. But before that, I want to go back to something you said a minute ago. Do sure. you have any, um, I don't know what to call them, practices or uh, means by which you would say, like, because I think about as far as like understanding my insecurities, understanding my, I've had to learn to really, I think of it like digging I've had to really yeah. learn to dig and to sit in that, to think about that and processing it. I have to write. That's just most effective for me. But any advice for, right. for someone that that is not an exercised muscle for them, where do you start to learn to, to maybe be, even begin to get at the root of some of this stuff? I always look for fear. Wherever mm-hmm. there is fear, there usually is something underneath that, okay. right? And um, anxiety and fear point us to something, uh, really important typically. And that usually brings us to insecurities, Mm -hmm. uh, because we're fearful of being exposed. We're fearful of, like I said, being disappointment. Um, and that almost always comes out in relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, um, in terms of like behavioral practices, 
um, I don't, I don't really have anything to recommend there, but just the idea of being more Mm self-aware, right? We are not self-aware people. We're not taught to be self-aware. We're taught to be achieving and be busy and be distracted. And Mm -hmm. that's what our society offers, Mm -hmm. right? We're not very in tune with how we feel yeah, and we're, how we feel is informed by how we think. Yeah. And so if we're feeling anxious, going back to what am I thinking right now? What mm-hmm. beliefs are here, right? Yeah. What, what thoughts are in my head right now will give us a good indication of themes that might be important in our life, those insecurities that we're talking about. Yeah. I think the thing that has been the most helpful for me has been to, as I sit down to pray and to write, to um, imagine that I am sitting with God and he asks me, what are you feeling? Not how, what are you feeling today? And then more specifically, what is causing you unrest? And Mm. that gets me at fear. That gets me at anxiety. That gets me at anger that, you know, it, it forces me in a way to look at those things that I am prone to want to be, not be present to and to not think about. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it is really good, isn't it? Yeah. And (laughs) and the tough thing for people is most often Uh people will tell you what they're thinking and not what they're feeling at that moment. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Those emotional words are not, are not uh, at at the ready. I can tell you're in therapy because you're using a lot of like therapy buzzwords and stuff. Am I? I'm not (laughs) actually. I just, I just Googled, uh, just therapy buzzwords so that Family I won't disappoint origin, you. Yeah. Attachment. Like yeah. these are all. <laughs> I've done a lot of, oh, I've done man. a lot of reading on this front. Have you, have you read or seen the book permission to feel? No. Yeah. That's a really, I think it's, for, it's very, very good. Yeah. And it's basically a researcher who uh, is helping, helping us learn to put language to our emotions because I think it was Brene Brown's group did a a study um, and it was insane. I mean, thousands of people, but it was insane that the average person can only identify three emotions, which was I'm happy, mad, sad. The average person can only identify those three things. And there's just a lot more there than that. And so permission to feel would be helpful on that front. So back to uh, what I stopped you on. When you have a day where, I mean, you and I have talked on some of these days, you know, Mm -hmm. you have a day where you have a session where, you know, someone is talking about a suicidal, you know, uh, ideation that they're having. And it maybe even Mm -hmm. says that they have a plan to do it. And you might have to, I mean, I'm pretty sure you have to like call the police when that happens, Mm -hmm. but you have some session that really takes a toll on you. How, how do you not take that home? Or some days just do you like what, what are the tools that you use to, cause that's one thing right now that I think we definitely feel is like we're constantly dealing with not only our own stuff, but everybody else is nuts too. Like we're just mm. a big bag of crazy, right. everybody right now. Right. And so it, you just go home at the end of the day and you're like, I could never do that again and be okay. Absolutely. So how, what, yeah. what, how do you go? Uh, like, what do you think about on the way home? Well, I think, <laughs> what do I think about on the way yeah, home? Other than quitting uh, and doing something else. Yeah. Sometimes I just sit in silence and drive for 45 minutes. <laughs> Not even home, home, just in, home, just in the parking lot. How did I get here? <laughs> um, I think what's different for me is that we go through, as psychologists, we go through an immense amount of training and supervision prior mm-hmm. to becoming licensed psychologists, mm-hmm. right? So like, you know, we get supervised uh, during those crisis situations mm-hmm. and um, we learn over the years sort of like protocol, what to look for, mm-hmm. how to respond to that, right? So there's like a set of procedures that we can kind of go through in our head and that yeah. I go through in my head that that helps me respond to that situation. Mm-hmm. So just like kind of a, a paramedic or, you know, an mm-hmm. ER physician or somebody like that who has been trained to respond to maybe a situation that most people would feel very anxious about. The training helps us, you know, sort of um, compartmentalize that experience mm-hmm. in a healthy way that this is what my job, this is my job. This is what mm-hmm. I'm doing. I'm helping this person. 
Um, but still we're dealing with, you know, extremely traumatic, sometimes scary situations. And there's no way for me to separate myself from mm-hmm. that. And so when I do have days like that, number one, I lean on my colleagues, um, the other psychologists that I work with. Um, there's one in particular who we both at the end of the day, if we have something like that, we get off at the same time. Mm-hmm. We, we, we basically kind of, um, we process that experience. Uh, we can encourage each other in, mm-hmm. in, in, in that experience. Uh, cause a lot of those times during those times, you can doubt yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you, you did so you didn't do yeah. something right. Yep. That sort of thing, you know, and sometimes you just hear very jarring things that you need to tell somebody else. Yeah. Right. And you need mm-hmm. to hear somebody else tell you that that's messed up, you know, yeah. and, and just to have that understanding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, my tendency is when I get home to, want to hide that from my wife Mm. to want to hide that I had a hard day. And what I've learned over the last it's 10 years since I've been practicing is Mm. I can't do that. I have to tell her that I had a hard day. Mm. I have to tell her that it was difficult. And what I found is that, you know, obviously I'm not sharing any um, confidential information or anything like that with her, but I'm just, I'm able to process. This is, this is, this is what I experienced today. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And usually after that, you know, I, I, I feel a decompression, but I think, a, again, a tendency maybe for even pastors and ministry leaders is to pile that stuff internally mm-hmm. when we should be processing mm-hmm. that stuff externally always. Yeah. Mm. I think, yeah, two things in what you just said. One is, I think there is such a severe lack of training on this front. I literally was on, I was working on my message today and for reasons I won't go into, I was on a particular seminaries page and, and right on their front page, it's like specifically says we train preachers. And I was like, cool, good job training people for the 2% of their job. That Mm. is honestly, emotionally anyways, the easiest part of the job. And there's just so little training on this other stuff. And then secondarily, I completely agree. I think one of the great, I actually was writing a point in my message about this today Mm. because I'm talking about this weekend, I'm going to be preaching on Priscilla, um, who was the wife of Aquila. And and I'm referring to her as I'm calling my message Priscilla, the partner. Uh, because she was a partner to Paul and she was, she and uh, Aquila were great partners that you see in their marriage and ministry and everything. And I'm talking about how many pastors and ministry leaders really are in ministry alone and they don't have a partner. And I think one benefit that I'm most thankful for is that I've never had that because I've had you. Mm-hmm. And I think having, there's never, I think because we've been friends for 27 years. Yeah. You know, like if you come out of your office and you had a bad day, I mean, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Mainly because I can tell just looking at your face and your hair gets bigger that <laughs> that so you've had a bad day. Yeah. But I think I yeah. I think I do. I, there's a, definitely a tendency for pastors to be like, I'm I got to be the rock, and yeah. I can't yeah, be that, the rock yep. and verbalize that I'm having a hard time. Yeah, I don't I don't know where that persona came from. But it's, it it's super damaging. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, there's a great book called Jesus and John Wayne, which we might have just lost 25% really? of our list. Literally, yeah. That is a sweet title. Oh, and it's an amazing book. It basically yeah. tra- tracks evangelicalism uh, over the last hundred years and how evangelicalism got us Trump. That's basically the premise of this Ooh. book. Female oh, professor okay. at Calvin College. And uh, and it's really female not. Professor, it's female professor, yeah. Oh. Um, she's a historian and, um, it tracks the history of evangelicalism and how it was, you know, birthed out of fundamentalism and this like, sort of like hyper machismo, John Wayne, yeah. um, yeah. Rambo, Lone Ranger. This is what it means to be a Christian man. And right. I would say that's destroying a countless number of especially male ministry leaders. Right. So that's yeah. part of it is that I think some of this is what we have defined as quote unquote biblical manhood 
and that's a problem. Yeah. Mm. Right. And yeah. If you're listening I, and you're like I mean, bummed about the fact that I mentioned Trump, just that you know what? <laughs> they're they're probably from Idaho if they're mad about it. I don't know. Have you been listening, Zach? And they you like heard potatoes. Tyler has, of course, I have. Has like He's enraged the entire Idaho state so of hard. Oh my gosh! I know yeah. it's a great state too. Is it? If, well, I don't know. I've never this, been there. This, yeah. con- this concept that we're talking about, though, is so common sense if you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's I'm experiencing pain mm-hmm. and I hide it, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I'm surprised that I have problems later when I have <laughs> this. <laughs> With stockpiles of pain for mm-hmm. years and years and years that I'm not talking about. Right. You know? Yeah. And it's that's, not, it's, that's how one night you find yourself with your hood up crying during a Lindsay Lohan movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly, it's I mean, good. genuinely, that's exactly what happened to me. I just had all right. of this unprocessed pain from the past and it invaded my present. And it's right. only a matter of time until that, I think that happens to, to everyone. It might happen at different times, but make no sure. mistake, it does happen. Mm. Yeah. So then, um, just as we start to draw this to a close on, on the more practical front, and this is a big question I know, but mm. what do you think are some essential pillars for creating a culture that values, uh, grows in and embodies emotional and mental health? Like how do we, how do yeah. we become ma- safe spaces for that? Just mm-hmm. in general, what are your thoughts about, like, here's a couple of pillars that need to be in place for that to happen. Yeah, I think number one, it's got to come from the top. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean the pastor is like the pinnacle of the mm-hmm. church or anything like that. But, but you know, leaders the need pa- to be. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Leaders need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I think even more important, it, 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 it should be incorporated into what's coming from the pulpit at mm-hmm. times. And that doesn't mean, you know, the pastor doesn't need to see Sunday morning as a therapy session, Mm -hmm. but I think there is appropriate disclosure Mm -hmm. that can come from the teaching pastor and from other leaders in the church. And that, that invites people into vulnerability, Mm -hmm. which is so important, you know? Um, And I think churches also need to focus a little bit more on um, resources and programming for mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Usually there's like a a celebrate recovery group or Mm -hmm. something like that for addictions and that sort of thing, but you don't really see much more than that at churches. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, I have, I have visions, you know, of, you know, one day churches, you know, can, we can get to a point where we're like, you know, it's important to have a mental health practitioner on staff, Yeah, mm. you know, to incorporate programming groups, therapy, these sorts of teaching. Right. Um, but I do think, you know, churches can start off with um, maybe even using some mental health practitioners in the community to come in and talk about behavioral health issues, things of that nature, and just get the the language mm-hmm. going in the culture of the church. Mm. Because that, I think that indicates mental health is a priority in yeah. this culture, mm-hmm. right? Because the, you know, the old way of like the veneer is on the church, every, mm-hmm. everybody's perfect. You know, that, I think that communicates that mental health isn't priority. priority. I need to be I need to be perfect. I, I don't need to have problems, that, that sort of thing. So mm. um, I think consistently checking in with your staff too, like making that a... Man, that does not happen very much. Mm. We've, no. seen, we've seen in, you know, with my XP, talking with friends, there's just, I've just talked to so many people this, this year. They're like, yeah, my, and this is te- t- typically not the lead pastor, but other staff members in a church that are like, yeah, my pastor has not asked me how I'm doing one time through COVID. Oh, right. Which is just yeah, that's crazy sucks. to me. Mine hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. All I've done is listen to him cry for 27 years. <laughs> but you could ask once, you know, <laughs> why do I have to lead? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you gotta, I mean, you have to check in with people because mm-hmm. people necessarily are not going to divulge totally that they're struggling. Mm. And it, you know, another thing I think could be helpful is 
you know, on the internet, there's so many free, like mental health self report measures that you could attach, you know, for depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. these sorts of things that are really simple, like nine, seven questionnaire mm-hmm. type of things that you can attach to an email, send it out to your staff, take this, let's talk about it the next time you, we have our meeting. Like sometimes people don't even realize they're anxious or depressed yeah, until good. like the questions are asked, yeah. you know? So I think that could be, you know, I think that could be a practical way. And I, you know, I think the last thing would be if you see, if you sense somebody is struggling, say something. Totally. Like we, we have a tendency for some reason to not walk into that space mm-hmm. because it might be awkward or we're fearful of offending somebody. But yeah. now more than ever, if you sense somebody struggling, you know, I guarantee that they're struggling, say mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. give them the opportunity. I know? think I said this last week, but um, at least in this season, I'm probably scheduling 50% of my meetings, not because people have reached out to me, but because I'm reaching out to them mm. because of yeah. either a converse, brief conversation we had on Sunday or something more heavy that's mentioned in a prayer request. And I just have this sort of sense that this is, this would be something good for us to, to talk a little bit about, but I will say by and large, I, I feel like people are willing to schedule a meeting when um, they need direction. Like they're trying to make a decision and they want mm-hmm. counsel on that front. But I feel like when someone's really, yeah struggling with mental, emotional health stuff. I don't think that, I think it has to oftentimes get pretty bad for someone to reach out. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in initiating that ourselves. Absolutely. It's okay not to be okay. Right. It is. All right. I think we're, uh, I think we're almost out of time. I got a lot more questions, so I guess we're going to have to have handsome Zach on again. Handsome Zach. Handsome Zach. Handsome Zach. Do you feel that handsome Zach is this new persona that I've given to you is undermining to your credibility at all? Cause I'm, I am conscious of that. I, I wondered in all the pictures I posted on Instagram and what a big deal I made about handsome you are. If oh, he's like, you know, you know what? I'm a, I'm, for, I'm Dr. Zach. I'm Dr. Handsome Zach Sakura. You know what? Because I've been handsome for all of my life, I'm used to that. So I've incorporated my professional identity into my... Heavy is the head that wears the crown. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, All right. Well, I don't feel that at all. (laughs) Well, we love having you on, and Mm. uh, we'll do it again. We got you a headset, so Mm. now now we got to have you on to make it worth it. Britney Spears headset. Yeah, you look Mm -hmm. good. Well, thank you for listening. We appreciate it very much. And uh, as always, if this is your first time with us and you enjoyed the podcast, you can help us in a few ways. First, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Second, you can leave a review uh, wherever it is that you get your podcast. And then lastly, we would love to connect with you on social media. So you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at, at Ryan Hughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. And you can find me on the same platforms at, at Tyler Dravitz. That's D-R-E-W-I-T-Z. Handsome Zach, are you on a uh, are you on a social media break? Are you on social at all right now, dude? Social media free since twenty twenty one. Are you really completely? Yeah, dude. I'm it's impressed. been it's been so glorious. I got to do that mm. too. All right, so you should. no one can find you anywhere other than in person. No, don't Google. Go me. to his house <laughs> in Barrington. <laughs> All right. Well, we thank you for listening and uh, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.